step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Thanks for tuning in to Great O2. I'm your host, Mel Allen, and over the next few minutes, I'll introduce you to the Great O2 podcast. I call it the podcast for Vermonters, Vermont lovers, and the Vermont curious. And we're going to talk about the food, the people, music, beer, and basically everything else that makes things great in the 802. Right now, we're listening to a band called Breakaway, a bluegrass band from Vermont, and we'll hear more from them soon, and be sure to check the show notes for details on today's music and guests. So in just a moment, we're going to hear from an independent beer marketing consultant who helps craft beer producers formulate a marketing plan, give you a glimpse of some upcoming guests I'll have the show as we wrap things up. Now, let's join in an interview with Bethany. She's an independent food and beer marketing consultant, and she's got a perspective on what's happening with Vermont beer, some trends with the craft beer scene in general, and we'll talk about a recent story in the news about Vermont beer. Bethany, I got to give props where props is due. You're actually one of the people who helped put this seed into my head to start a podcast. So welcome to Great O2. Awesome. I'm happy to be here. So you are a person who definitely is, uh, you know, in the know about beer. And we're going to put up your Twitter handle so if people want to find you. Sure. Um, I'm at Lipstick and Lager on Twitter. So you definitely, as I said, know a lot about beer, very involved with the beer scene in Vermont. I think we should just put it out there um, that you are currently not in Vermont. And that's okay. You know, um, I don't want people who have, you know, temporarily left the state because we know you'll be back. You know, we don't want people to feel like they're outed from the show, that they can't participate. So what is a Vermont beer that you think people should be drinking that maybe they haven't even heard of? Because I know we've got more breweries in the state now than there are weeks in the year. And that's a great problem to have. It is. It's definitely a great problem to have, especially with Vermont being such a small state. I think that I know last time I checked, they were leading the most breweries per capita, which let's be honest, Vermont like leads everything per capita because there's not a ton of people there. Um, but yeah, it's it's exciting for sure. I think nationwide we're seeing a lot of breweries open, um, but Vermont, I mean, it's you're just seeing way more open and very few closed. So it's, it's awesome. Um, I think a few for me, you know, especially now that I am living, you know, not in the 802 anymore, um, I have my go-tos every time I'm up there. And I think brewery only, my two must-sees are always good measure and foam. Um, foam is in Burlington. So for me, that's easy because that's kind of my stomping grounds when I go into Vermont. Um, and then good measure is in Northfield, which is just south of Montpelier. And that's kind of my second go-to as I'm on my way back home. Both phenomenal, both not currently distributing um, in bottles or cans outside of the brewery. I know that you're you're starting to see some of them on tap places. So um, I try to stop by both of those places when I'm in town. And then I'll say as far as packaged beer goes that makes it out into distribution, um, 
my two go-tos that I bring home every time I'm in Vermont are um, Zero Gravity Conehead, because to me, that's like the perfect beer. It's just so crushable and Great so beer. perfect. I've loved it for so long. Um, and then the other one is really anything by Fiddlehead. I'm still crossing my fingers that they're going to start distributing in cans their Fiddlehead IPA because I love that beer so much. Um, but <laughs> Second Fiddle, Mastermind, Hodad, like really anything I can get my hands on there. Um, I know that in Vermont, they're just starting to see it out in distribution again. For a while, it was brewery only, but it is making its way out again. So those are like my two have-to-bring-home packaged beers. Um, yeah, I, I know that there's a lot of hype around a lot of others. And to me, when I'm up there, it's there's so much good to, beer to be had that I just don't find the need to be standing in lines anymore. So I try to avoid it if possible when there are fantastic options that fly a little bit more under the radar. Yeah, we're actually, I mean, we're so lucky that you can walk into a grocery store here or you can walk into a gas station here and there's literally, literally world-class beer that's sitting on the shelves. And yeah. talking about world-class beer, I mean, it's worth throwing in there. You mentioned Foam Brewery and I believe, according to Rate Beer, they got the number one new brewery in the world. Oh, did so they? I didn't, real, I didn't right. know what number they were. Yeah, I, they're awesome. They're has not been a single beer from them that I haven't absolutely loved. And they're also the brewery where I tend to walk in with two empty growlers anticipating bringing home two growlers. And I end up walking out with like four. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I understand the problem. Yeah. Because uh, as soon as people know that I'm in a brewery, I start getting tweets, you know, because I've had a sample and I share it and um, it, it's a wonderful problem to have, but yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that said, I wanted to kind of switch a little bit now and, you know, it's nice to talk about Vermont beers and everything. Um, but one of the things that I like to find out about is, you know, are we setting trends or are there other trends going on? You know, are there basically some beer trends that you're seeing kind of in the industry as a whole that people should be kind of paying attention to? Yeah. Um, I, I think anybody that's really into craft beer understands that we're in the, the kind of, I don't even want to say year because it's been multiple years, but we're in the age of IPAs right now. Everybody is about IPAs. Everybody loves hot forward beers. Um, they're very trendy right now. They're the ones that, you know, people go the most crazy for people stand in lines for people, you know, want to buy on a regular basis because they understand that the hot profiles start to fall off on those beers, you know, some of them quicker than others. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that that's still the big front runner right now in the craft beer industry. But I do enjoy the fact that we're starting to see things like sours um, be a little bit more prominent. Um, things that are a little bit more malt forward are starting to make their way into the scene as well. Um, I think that we're, we're going to maybe start to see some more of that happening. I think the next step will be sours. Um, I'm starting to see a lot more in that realm right now. I'm not saying that they'll overtake IPAs because I just don't think that that's going to happen anytime soon. Um, but you're seeing a lot more um, people enjoying sours, looking for sours, um, going to breweries that are specifically geared towards sours. Um, so that's, that's really exciting. Definitely very, very different um, and very different from IPAs. And then in the IPA realm, you're seeing, you know, um, the New England style IPA was just recognized as an official new style, 
which is huge. Happy about that. <laughs> yeah, very exciting. I think that we can all understand that there's a difference between East Coast and West Coast IPAs. And then within that, you know, the New England style IPA is much different than your standard East Coast IPA as well. So I think it was time to put that in place, whether or not people enjoy the East Coast or the New England style IPA. I think, you know, that's just a preference, but it was obvious that it was different. So I think we're starting to see a lot more of the different categories and regions and have their style of IP, which is really cool. Um, one other thing that I'm noticing is within the hoppy beer market, you're seeing a lot of, um, how do I say this? You're seeing a lot of people, breweries doing kind of an education slash exposure to hops. So you're seeing a lot of them putting what hops is in a beer, what hops are in a beer, if it's different varieties. And then you're also seeing a few breweries start to do um, a, a series where it's like a single hop series. So it'll be the same mm -hmm. beer, the same beer build, and then they'll just change out the hop varietal. And to me, that's really cool because that's kind of starting to get into the more educational sector of enjoyment of beer so you start to understand how hops change beer what hop characteristics come from certain hops what flavors they bring it's really you're seeing more of the wine industry in beer now where you understand right. the varietals of grapes and the regions that they're grown in and what those bring to the complexity of a wine and and you're starting to see that in beer and to me that's really intriguing because i've said for a long time now like beer is going to go the way that wine does and, and it being very social. It's, it's, you don't, <laughs> you don't roll your eyes if somebody brings a growler of beer to a dinner party anymore. And I think if it were like five years ago, somebody might have. So <laughs> it, it's really cool to see that kind of shift going on. Um, people just taking on a more, you know, really artisanal approach to beer and understand the craftsmanship that goes into it. It's, it's awesome to me. Yeah, and actually, I think you hit the nail on the head, too, talking about, you know, the hops, because I know I've had these conversations with people where we've been sitting around a table and they're talking about, oh, this doesn't taste like it used to. You know, two years ago, this had a totally different flavor profile. Now, my palate isn't quite that sensitive, I'll admit, to <laughs> be able to remember a beer that I had two years ago. But when those people leave and I go over and I think, you know, the person who's brewing for doing what's doing, I'll be like, hey, you know, so somebody said that beer tasted different two years ago. And they'll say, oh, yeah, we actually ended up switching hops. We could no longer get, you know, the Atlas hops. And so now we're using a blend of Cascade and Mosaic. And, and it's like, oh, okay, so this really is a very different beer. And so that, that single hop, but otherwise the recipe is the same. And you're right, it, you know, it makes it into a very citrusy smelling or a very, you know, kind of, you know, almost a, a dankness to it, but not a bad dankness. But, mm -hmm. you know, that, that, that hop difference can change so much about a beer. I overboiled a beer one time and my hops came out and, and I was like, wow, this is actually great. So I ended up throwing in less hops when I made that beer, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the next time, because I liked how it, I, I liked it so much. It was, you know, one of those multi beers, which is what sure. got me into the beer scene. So I wanted to t pick up on something else that you mentioned though. And you mentioned about Vermont style IPA being officially recognized and Vermont probably not getting a lot of press about that specific thing, but uh, I think it was in Wall Street Journal first ran the story or Washington Post maybe uh, first ran the story um, recently a couple of days ago picking up on um, the story that originally it was in San Francisco where there was a beer out there that somebody called 
Vermont Farmhouse Ale, I believe it was, or something similar to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're not a Vermont-based company. And so the state's actually, um, you know, has sent letters at least to say, hey, cease and desist, if not considering suing this brewery. So what, do you, what are your kind of thoughts on Vermont, you know, going after that and, and you know, uh, defending that Vermont name in, uh, in the court system? Yeah, I think it's interesting. It's an interesting time right now. So a couple things around that, like New England is the style of the IPA. So for Vermont itself didn't get recognized as its own style, which I think is accurate. I think, you know, Vermont, we're, we're very proud Vermonters. And I think that we'll always defend that we were one of the front runners in that style. Um, we were kind of like leading the way in a way. Um, I don't think that we were the first, but I, I don't know if that's true or not. Um, so I can't defend that aspect of it. But I will say, you know, being a born and raised Vermonter, we're all very proud of our heritage as Vermonters. We pride ourselves on being different. And we've always supported our local businesses. And we've always tried to help out our neighbor and supporting farmers and, and all of that. Like, it's a very Vermont thing to do to try to, like, get to the roots of the places where you're buying your things from and knowing who you're buying them from and, and how they're handled. And I think that that's what we saw with, with this situation with the, I think it was a California brewery. It's, you know, I think if they would have simply put Vermont style beer on it, I think we would have avoided this altogether. But, um, you know, made in Vermont had, has so much money towards it to like establish the Vermont brand. There is a sense of, um, ownership around the made in Vermont tagline. Um, and I think that it's valid. I don't think that, I I think that Vermont has done a very good job as marketing itself as being a very high end maker of products. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's not incredibly easy to do business in Vermont. So I think that the people that do choose to do business in Vermont are very thankful that they can have this little bit of panache um, by, by being able to label themselves as made in Vermont. And I think it was, you know, very hurtful that this other company came around and, and just shoved Vermont on their label. And of course the concern is for somebody that travels a lot or for somebody that's really into beer, for somebody that maybe doesn't know, but they know that they've loved beer in Vermont because Vermont is a beer destination at this point. Does that cause brand confusion? Does it cause confusion that you think that you're getting a beer from a place where you loved beer to only get a beer from this brewery in California, which who's to say if it's bad or good, but it's kind of misrepresentative um, when you think about it. So I stand by Vermont um, and them holding strong and holding these people accountable. I think that we don't, we shouldn't do that anywhere. You know, Vermont, a Vermont brewery shouldn't release a beer and call it, you know, a California IPA. They shouldn't call it that. Right. Can they call it a West Coast IPA? Absolutely. Can they call it a California style IPA? Sure. But just putting the state on there is a little bit mis- misrepresentative, and I completely understand why you know Vermont called them out on that. Uh, yeah, I have to agree because for this brewery in California, this quote unquote wasn't a big deal, you know, as as the guy said. But the reality is that we've had um, companies in other states, even neighboring New Hampshire. Um, have used Vermont on their labels for maple syrup or pancake mix or Canada, you know, has touted their maple syrup blends as, you know, as being Vermont. And it's funny that, 
Canada has a whole region that makes maple syrup. Vermont's a very small state, but you know, we're really proud about how well we make, right. like you're saying, our products, you know, our cheeses, our maple syrup, or, you know, these other things that, you know, in taste tests and, and quality win awards because let's face it, six months out of the year, it's dark, it's gray, it's snowy. We go indoors <laughs> and we're working on food, we're working on beer and we're sharing recipes and we're tasting it. And that's why <laughs> it all works out so well because we have all that time, you know, when we're just like, well, there's nothing better to do. Let's, <laughs> let's do <Right>. this. <laughs> yeah. I, I think also, you know, something to think about is creative ownership, copyright infringement, trademarking, all of that is very tricky. And a lot of it go, points back to you have to always be defending your brand because the more that you let it slip up, the more that it dilutes it. And it's harder to have grounds to stand on to defend your brand if you don't have a history of kind of defending it. So I, I think that you see that more when it comes to individual companies, but I think that this was Vermont's chance to step up and say, you're stepping on Vermont's brand right now, and we're not going to let people do that because if we let you do it, then we're also going to have to allow, you know, if, if we're not going to have to allow, but like if we allow you to, it opens the door for other people to try to use that name as well. And then where does it end, you know? So by putting this foot forward and they have in the past, it's not like this is the first time, you know, they did call out New Hampshire for using your labels on maple syrup and things like that. I think, you know, this is just the next step in that it's happened with maple syrup before, but you didn't hear about it all over the nation because it was right. New Hampshire and Vermont and it was maple syrup. Um, <laughs> but, but beer is different. You know how it is like this community of, you know, beer lovers is, it's far and wide. So when news travels, it travels very quickly. Um, so I think that this was just the next step in that process. I think it just got, I think it just got escalated so quickly because that's a huge group of people that are very, very passionate about their beliefs in this industry. Um, so I think it got blown way out of proportion where I, I'm sure Vermont <laughs> was just like, um, yeah, we do this all the time. We tell people not to use our name on products that aren't made here. That's no big deal to us. So it's right. interesting to I think me. The, I think the important thing too for to realize is that, you know, while this is making it into the news and, you know, the, the California brewery is, is hating about talking about this because they're being asked again and again and again, you know, for the state of Vermont, they have a pretty, pretty standard response to these things. And it's pretty swift and it's pretty fair and it's pretty, you know, uh, focused on being just. And it's not like, we're going to slap all of these penalties on you or we're going to try to take your business away from you. No, right. it's just, you know, look, if this was a limited run and there really wasn't a profit made on it, hey, that's fine. We're going to give you a fine that's, that's you know, relevant to that. It's going to be small and it's basically going to be a slap on the wrist. And like you're saying, it's, it's defending the brand, but it's not overreacting to it. And I think that that's the appropriate thing to do is that Vermont is not overreacting. It's an appropriate measured, <laughs> you know, prepared response, really. And, yeah. and I think that, like you're saying, if we don't do it, it opens the door for, you know, some other company to be like, well, they didn't do it last time. Maybe they won't do anything this time. Definitely. Um, and, and I think, you know, it can go as far as a, a cease and desist, really. And if it was a one-time run of beer, a cease and desist doesn't matter. You know, they're already done running that beer. It's never going to be made again. Again, I don't know in this case if it's a regular, like they they released it with the intent to keep releasing it. But, you know, you send a cease and desist, and if it's a one-time run, that's it. They'll just – they'll rename it. It'll be named something else, and they'll run it again. I mean, breweries do this all the time for 
all right. sorts of different names, um, all sorts of different cease and desist letters. It happens so often and they'll just rename it and they'll move on and it won't be a big deal. I think that it just, it really, really escalated quickly because again, so many people are just so passionate about this industry. All right. Well, Bethany, I think that's a good place to end this because I don't want to take up more of your time. I know it's valuable. I know you've been working hard all day. I know I have as well. Um, but I definitely appreciate you uh, joining us here on Great O2. And hopefully, uh, we'll hear more from you in the future. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks so much to Bethany. Again, check the show notes if you want to get in touch with her. We'll get more perspective from Bethany again on later episodes. And right now, let's talk about some things that we'll have upcoming on Grado 2. You're listening to Breakaway, and from Watershed, this is the song Leadfoot. On the next episode, we'll hear from Bill Kuhns. He's from a company called BECS, Vermont Energy Control Systems, and as they say, practical monitoring and control for the real worlds. Now, Bill's a person that I actually met and talked to for about 45 minutes to an hour the first time, and it's been about more each time. It was hard to interview Bill and keep it to a reasonable amount of time that we could have on this podcast. Now, I want to make this podcast a creation that you help shape. It's part of an ongoing conversation where I'm only helping to facilitate that conversation, not drive it into a particular destination. But we're both taking a journey through this great but very small state. Be sure to like Grado 2 on Facebook, on Twitter, and go to grado2.com for more thoughts on our blog and share your thoughts on what you'd like to hear more of, feedback on the podcast or people and places that we should have deeper conversations about. That's it for this first episode of Grado 2. Coming up in the next few episodes, as I mentioned, we'll speak to the founder of Vermont Energy Control Systems. You'll hear from knife makers with very different approaches to their craft, and we'll learn together from a working museum that's keeping crafts and working knowledge alive every day. Thanks for joining me, and I hope you look forward to hearing more from great Vermonters on our next episode. The Grado 2 Podcast is a production of The Real Voice Audio Production. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.